Hey everybody, welcome to West Seattle Christian Church Online. My name is Worth. If you are new, welcome. Thank you for joining us. If not, welcome back. Today we're meeting at the church in our worship center for an all-church worship gathering. Our next all-church worship gathering is in a few weeks on Sunday, September 21st, right here in West Seattle at our church campus at 4400 42nd Avenue Southwest, one block east of Hotwire Coffee. In between now and then, we're gathering in homes in our kinfolk groups, one of which is on campus at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings in our social, social hall, which is the lower level of our chapel building. Just use the back door on the east side of the building, just off our main parking lot, and we hope to see you soon at a kinfolk group. Last month in October, we launched our new middle school student ministry for 5th through 8th graders. Our next middle school nights are on Wednesday, November 3rd and Wednesday, November 17th at 6 p.m. Our middle school student ministry takes place every other week this fall and into December on Wednesday nights from 6 p.m. until 7.15. And we're going to start back up after the new year as well. So come hang out with us, make new friends, bring your whole family, and grab dinner here for free. Middle school starts just a little bit later at 6.20. Uh, you can head over to your own space in the social hall for fun activities and a time of discipleship. Families, you are welcome to come to dinner too. You can hang out as long as you like. Uh, and in the future, we're going to have some short how-to courses on building a culture of following Jesus in your home. Last but not least, for you folks watching on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe as well as hit the like icon below. This will really help the channel out. Okay, let's dive in. I'm not going to repeat everything that we've covered in the last few weeks, except to say that Paul has written this letter to the Galatians church, uh, specifically to the God-fearing Gentiles, who are like you and me, people who want to follow Yahweh, Adonai, the God of the Jews, without converting to Judaism. And Paul launched this letter by reminding them and us of all the difficult work he did to give them this gospel and to let them know that Christ has set them free. And now we've arrived near the end of the letter. Paul is wrapping things up and he's bringing the rocket back to earth, so to speak, by making some very specific claims upon the lives of those who say that they follow Jesus. So he's giving them very practical, repeatable steps to follow in their day-to-day -day lives. So what Paul starts off with here is their freedom. And he keeps repeating that phrase, because of Christ, you are set free. So then Paul kind of lays out the argument. He does some thinking for them. He says the obvious progression of the argument is this. Well, if I'm free, then I can do whatever I want, right? Isn't that nice? I mean, it's nice that you can believe in and follow God and act however you want. And the background to all this is that Paul goes into all these Galatian cities and other cities around the ancient Mediterranean world, and many people become followers of Jesus after he shares the gospel with them. And somewhere along the way, those people, these Galatians, over time, they begin to say and think, uh, maybe I'll just give in to what this group says I need to do in order to fit in, in order to have a tribe, in order to have a family. And this is what Paul starts dealing with in the section we're looking at today. So we're going to start in verse 7, Galatians chapter 5, and he says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now what he's saying is this, it feels like just a small compromise right now, but down the road, it's going to be a huge deviation from the path. Here's a metaphor to help you think about it. 
If, if you set sail from right here, from Seattle, and you chart a course directly to Tokyo, but right after you get past out of Puget Sound and you go past the Olympics and you're on the open ocean, right after that, let's say your course shifts by about three degrees to the south, will you end up in Tokyo? No. You're going to end up in Sydney, Australia, or Antarctica or something because a 3%, a three degree shift at the beginning of the course isn't much, but a thousand miles down the road, it's pretty wide. Then Paul says in verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who, un who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. And this is a huge play on words here. He's saying, these guys who you have to follow the parts of, who say that you have to follow the parts of the law that make you Jewish, i.e. the circumcision group. He's like, I wish those guys would be emasculated. In other words, he's just being, he's being facetious here, but he's, he's basically saying, these guys are spiritual eunuchs. Do you want to be a spiritual eunuch too? You're not a eunuch, are you? Lam say say So in no uncertain terms, Paul is saying, this is such a huge deal that these guys want you to fit in with them. But it's going to set you, it feels like it's just a little bit of a course question, but it's going to set you way off course. If you want to acquiesce to them, that's fine. You can take on the law, but God's up to something new in and through Jesus. And by taking on that law, you're going to miss what you could be up to in partnering with Jesus for the world. And we deal with this in our own way today, though it's, it's similar. Many Christians operate like they have to hold on to a, to a particular set of beliefs and thoughts in order to make God happy. And so we learn these particular doctrines and then we learn to defend these particular doctrines so that we're right and somebody else is wrong. Paul has a different take on all of this and he asks a different question entirely, which is, how can we be godly? He says, be concerned about being godly before you're concerned about being right. We said this before in a different teaching series, but the right thing done the wrong way becomes the wrong thing. There's a lot of people in the church who spend their lives fighting like the devil for what they think are the things of God. And it helps no one. But you're right. You're right. You got to be right. You're right. But you're standing over there in the corner all by yourself. This is what legalism is. Another definition of having legalism within the church is not giving anybody the permission to have an opinion. And it's not about the major stuff. We're not talking about having opinions about the major stuff, like the Bible's the Word of God, like Jesus is the Son of God, and He conquered death and He rose from the grave. We're not talking about that stuff. But those, those are not the things that the church really fights over. The really critical thing the church fights over are, are things like the carpet. What kind of carpet or what kind of tile or flooring or the paint color or if a wall gets a hole in it because of those unruly kids in the youth group or what you what can can go in in the bulletin what can't go in the bulletin or what to spend the money on because i gave god that money and come hell or high water i'm going to see how it gets spent really i thought you gave it to god so you're saying there's strings attached between you and god hmm i thought you said giving was an act of worship from you to god but you're not going to give it if it's not spent the way you want? Okay. Did you know that 96% of church splits have nothing to do with spiritual, doctrinal, or biblical issues? It's basically over building issues and personality stuff. It's all relational. How about this? We've got to be godly first. 
and being right comes second. You can have your opinion, but that's not paramount. Paul says being godly comes first. Having different opinions with a respect for each other is healthy, and it leads to a healthy church. Now, the opposite of having your own opinion and respecting others' opinions is just thinking that you can do whatever you want. Most of us thought that kind of way. We thought that way when we were kids, that when we got all grown up, we'd be free to do whatever, whatever we wanted to do. We could pursue whatever path we want, do whatever we want. When I'm grown up, I can be free. And I got news for you. No, when you grow up, you're broke <laughs> and you can't do anything. I saw this sponsored Instagram post the other day with this lady out in the forest doing some rock climbing or she's hiking or something. And the caption below was all sarcastic and it said, spending 40 hours a week for 40 years sounds like a great idea. Of course, the, and the picture was of this person having fun and being free to do whatever they want out in nature and just makes it seem like you don't have to work for anything or do anything with responsibility. And, and so at first when you see that picture, you're like, yeah, I'm gonna quit my job and I'm gonna spend all my time in nature. I'm gonna be on vacation 24 seven, 365. And then I realized, well, that's, that's a pipe dream. I'm not free to do that. It takes money to live and eat and clothe myself and money takes work. Oh yeah. Well, except for that, I'm free to uh, quit and be on vacation all the time. Yes! But Paul says, we are now free. Freedom. I, I can do whatever I want, right? No. Freedom has never been the ability to do whatever you want, which is something our country and our world really needs to learn right now, like really fast, I'd say. Freedom has always been the ability to do as you ought. And if we don't steward that principle well, then we abuse it, and then freedom falls apart. Well, verse 13, Paul continues. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So Paul says, you're free, but just because you're free, don't use it to indulge your base desires, your flesh. Because does that put your God on display correctly? No, no, it doesn't. It puts you and your selfish, self-righteous self on display. Paul says, love your neighbor as yourself. And he juxtapositions that over and against this idea of cannibalizing one another. He says you consume one another. You eat each other alive. Just look at the church of Christians on social media today. Basically, it's cannibalism, eating each other alive, devouring each other. Let me ask you something. Who's paying the price for this? I will tell you, the church is paying the price for this when it is cannibalizing itself. And when this stuff makes it into media or onto, the social, onto social media, then the church becomes utterly irrelevant to the people that we're supposed to be going out and sharing God's love with in very tangible ways. At some point, we all better realize that there's a better conversation to have. There's a better way to do this. And here's the deal. Your freedom is not for you. Your freedom is for the mission of God. Your freedom does not give you the permission to do whatever you want to do. I love uh, how my friend Wynn Collier put this on Facebook the other day. He wrote this post and it said this, at least once a day, we might consider intentionally, and for some of this, this will require immense effort, giving someone a break. Maybe we just choose, just for the moment, 
not to point out their failure or pounce on their clumsy logic. Maybe we give someone the benefit of the doubt. Maybe we resist downloading our full litany of negative assumptions. Maybe we at least ponder what difference it makes for us to live under that strange light of grace and mercy. Maybe we remember that the person in front of us or on the Facebook screen in front of us is human, flawed, beloved. So your freedom gives you the ability to put your God on display through a set of principles, not through a set of rules is what Paul is saying. He says you do it through love. Think about that the next time you're ready to unleash on someone, whether it's in person or on social or behind their back. Freedom gives you the ability to put your God on display through love. So let's read the next section where Paul basically asks, what does it look like to know if you are following God or not? He says in verse 16, but I say, walk by the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. He's like, look, you want to know what living by the flesh looks like? Here's some ways. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Oh, okay. The first part, maybe you were like, well, I'm good. I'm not sleeping around. I don't dress provocatively. Hopefully you don't. I'm, I'm not into sorcery. But now he's in my face with things like enmity, jealousy, division, rivalries. Then Paul, in this next section, he drops the envy card. He says, my goodness, none of us, I mean, none of us struggle with envy, right? And look how happy they are. Family yoga break. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you so obsessed with the poses? They're just our neighbors. They're just so perfect. I mean, even their dog is in better shape than ours. What are they feeding that thing? It's like, uh, you don't want anything that your friends have, like a car that they have or the type of house they have or, or you know, if you're in an apartment and they're in a house or something like that, or is it a, a video game or a gaming system or the vacations or the accomplishments that they post on social media for them or their family or their kids. Envy is not spiritual is what Paul says, and, God, and it doesn't put God on display. So in verse 21 he says, envy and drunkenness, orgies and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I find it, I find it really interesting, all the types of things that Paul lists there together. Now, we get to this last part in this last section, and, and here Paul says, here's how you know that something is from the Spirit. In, in verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, and I want to stop for a minute and define what that means. The fruit of the Spirit, what is it? Uh, The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence that the Spirit is working in your life. It is the evidence that the Spirit is working in your life. So he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So what I want to say to you is that the only way to get that fruit, to show the evidence, is to pursue Christ. You don't get the fruit by pursuing the fruit. 
You get the fruit by pursuing Jesus, and then the fruit becomes true of you. So how do you know if you're pursuing Christ or not? How do you know if God is honored when you're talking to a friend about another friend? How do we know if God is glorified when you choose to disagree or say something on a Facebook thread and just kind of unleash or in a decision that you need to make? Paul says, here's how. Did it cultivate love, joy, peace, both in you and in the people around you? Did it cultivate patience? Did it come from patience and peace? And did it cultivate patience and peace? Or did it come from jealousy and envy and rivalry? Did it create chaos and hurt and pain? Did it come from gentleness or goodness, faithfulness and self-control? And does it cultivate and champion these things? We know our decisions and actions are godly because they come from love, joy, peace, patience, etc. And because my decisions cultivate these things in the lives of others as well. Paul says you can use your freedom to, to indulge the flesh, to have this and that and act like whatever you want and make decisions based on the flesh, on envy and jealousy and anger. But you are indulging and cultivating a lifestyle that's never going to bring you peace when you act that way. And it will never satisfy. And it'll never put your God on display in the way that honors him. And we wonder why no one wants to come to church with us. Maybe you know that you don't even want to bring somebody to church or even invite them into your life because maybe you know you're not full of the fruit of the Spirit. You know you're not putting God on display in the way that Paul says we should be doing here. So you keep making the same old excuses to yourself that it's not your job to bring others to Jesus, which is baloney. And we all know it. Pursue Jesus and it will lead to fruit, which will lead to serving others and putting God on display and loving them. That's what Paul is talking about here. There's a better way to live our lives, and his invitation is to live it based on the promises of God. So I want to leave you with a couple of challenges and implications now as we wrap this up. First of which is if you call yourself a part of the family of God, it's time for you to make a decision about whether or not you carry the mission of God. Because we've been talking over and over about the promises of God in this series. And the promise of God is that, that there's a spot for everyone at the table. There's a spot for everyone to be on the path and walk with God. Paul says in this passage about the fruits of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit, once you choose to sit at the table and try to follow Jesus and walk His path, there is also an objective conversation about how you do that, how you walk that path. And you don't get to do whatever you want. There's an objective conversation about what it means to walk the path. And, and that comes from the promises of God, the evidence of the Spirit being put on display in your life. There's an objective conversation here, which means it's an independent conversation, a conversation that's independent from external forces. It is uninfluenced by your emotions or your personal prejudices. If you follow Jesus and claim to be a part of that conversation, meaning that you, you're sitting at the table and you're walking on this path with Jesus, you have a decision to make of whether or not you're going to take on the mission of God. Or was all this churchy church Jesus stuff just about you getting out of here, having some fire insurance? Here's the deal. We serve a God who loves us more than any of us can possibly imagine. And when he looks at you, he doesn't see mistakes. And when he looks at you, he doesn't see mess up, screw up life. He looks at you and he says, 
You're full of potential, and I gave you all that potential before time began. We serve a God who longs to set us free, to take hold of the fullness of that potential that he placed in us. Do you want to follow a God like that? Or is God simply reduced to kind of a life insurance policy in your life? Whether or not we choose to live moment by moment by the fruits of the Spirit says a lot about whether we just want God to give us salvation so we don't have to go to hell, or whether or not we really believe that God's agenda for the world is something He's asked us to engage in and is way better than anything we could come up with on our, with on our own in this life. Here's the next challenge. If we carry the mission of God, then our freedom isn't just for us to be free. Our freedom is for the ability to serve others. It's critical for you to understand this. This is why we ask you to join us in serving others in the neighborhood as a church regularly. It's why we ask you to volunteer with us on certain projects throughout the year, to serve right here on the church campus in our worship team with our youth, with our kids. We serve because it tells the world a particular story about who our God is. And yeah, if you do serve, you might have to give something up, like a Tuesday night for a practice or a Wednesday night for helping our youth or a, a Sunday morning uh, once in a while to help with our kids or give up a Saturday to help us go clean a school or paint a building or organize a warehouse or do whatever. You might have to give up a spring break sometime in the future or part of your summer vacation. You might have to give up watching a football game that you can just watch later anyway. Now here's the next challenge. Walking in the Spirit produces a life that looks like God. That's the implication. How do I know if I'm walking in the Spirit? Because my life looks more and more like Jesus does. The fruit of the Spirit. That's it. And here's the last implication. None of this negates the mission of God to bless all nations and invite all the people in the world to the table. I mean, it's great to think about our personal relationship with Jesus, but your relationship with Jesus was never about you alone. It was never about only you. It was never only about me and Jesus. That's American individualism talking. That's not the gospel. It's always been about us as a community of people going out and being a blessing to everyone, all the nations, all people groups, all types of people. That's our mission. It's never only about you going to heaven or hell. It's about us going out and being a blessing to everyone. But I need to address something that we do quite often when you hear something like that, especially from a preacher. We look at other people who call themselves Christian and we say, well, I know that person over there doesn't do it and they don't serve. Or that person who's not here should have heard that message today. They, they really needed it. And we, we use it as an excuse to not do our part. And here's what I can say. No matter what anybody else does or doesn't do, God's mission doesn't change. And he's looking for you to show up, for you to step up. So is there a place in your life where you're using excuses of other people not doing or, or doing something to shape whether or not you're willing to follow the Lord? We have to put him on display well, whether anybody else does it or not. Let's tell the world a better story about who our God really is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your promise. God, I recall the words of Ephesians where it says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So Lord, we offer ourselves to you to complete the work that you've started. Please help us to represent you well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.